Tonight we're going to continue our study of total forgiveness. This is a book written by R.T. Kendall, and you don't have to have had the book or read the book, but we're walking through each chapter and talking about the principles that we learn. If you were here last year for Awesome August, you got to hear him on the last night talk about total forgiveness and what that means and what it looks like. The, the subtitle of his book here is, When Everything in You Wants to Hold a Grudge, Point a Finger, and Remember the Pain, God Wants You to Lay It All Aside. Brother Steve, if you ever heard him talk about forgiveness, he said, when you hold somebody in unforgiveness, when you refuse to forgive somebody, you're building a cage and you're locking that person up. But the person that you're caging and the person you're locking up isn't the person you haven't forgiven, it's yourself. You see, the, when we live with, with unforgiveness in our lives and when we live with a grudge and when we're angry and we just can't let it go, it's, it's us that's affected more than anybody else. Living with that prevents us from living the life that God has called us to live and it's something that Jesus himself told us that we cannot live with and that we need to let go. In fact, we'll talk in a little bit later, but in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus prayed this, Lord, forgive me in the same way that I forgive other people. And so what he's saying is the, the measure, the standard that we use to forgive other people, that is what we should be praying for God to use on us. And I don't know about you, but that's not the standard I want God using when he looks at me and when I need forgiveness. And so it's a, such an important principle that Jesus taught that we need to totally forgive people in our lives and totally let go of any, any anger, any grudge, anything that might be holding us back from what God has called us to do. And so as we walk chapter by chapter, we've talked about what is total forgiveness, what it looks like, and the different characteristics. And we're going to take a little bit different of a turn tonight. We're going to continue to talk about total forgiveness, but we're going to ask this question. So as we forgive people and as we do not hold on to grudges, when is it okay, and to use his language, when is it okay to judge somebody? When is it okay to, to not hold a grudge against somebody, but to call somebody out? You know, we hear about forgive and forgetting, and we'll talk about that next week, I believe, is when Derek's back, he'll be talking about that, how to forgive what you can't forget. We, we hear a lot of time, you've got to forgive and forget, you've got to forgive and forget. But what if you do forgive, but what if it's something that doesn't need to be forgotten? What if this is something that actually needs to be dealt with? That's what we're going to be talking about tonight, how to know when we are right to judge. We get that, he gets that language from Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. He says this, Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but do not notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye? And look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye. And then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. The question here that Jesus is asking us is in terms of how do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but not notice the beam in your own eye. And as he walks through this about being careful how we judge other people, comes right on the heels of two other verses I believe Derek talked about two weeks ago. The first two verses of chapter 7 when Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 1 and 2. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard from which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure that you use. What's he talking about there? He's, he's talking about whatever you use, the measure you use, if you, if you hold out a measuring stick and you say, all right, that should be one foot, when your foot is measured, it's going to be against that same measuring stick. You know, the Bible says the things that God hates in Scripture, one of them is a dishonest scale, a dishonest weight. 
And what that means is, and especially back in, in Bible times when they would weigh out, let's say, a pound of, of a certain material, they would have a pound, a scale. You know, you guys seen where you put a weight on one side and you're weighing against the other. They would have their scale and say, this is one pound, and they would measure out a pound on the other side when the scales were balanced. They would know that they, they had a, a pound that they could sell and that they could buy. Well, a lot of people would, would have trick weights. They would have a, a pound weight that maybe weighed 0.8 pounds, or they'd have just a little bit less. And so when they would sell a pound, they weren't quite selling a pound. And God, the Bible says that God hates that kind of stuff. God hates dishonesty. God hates it when we use dishonesty and we're using one scale and we're lying about all that. And the Bible says here that, hey, when it comes to judgment, that none of that's going to happen. The, the scale that you use, the weight that you use is the very same weight that will be used against you. And there is no getting away from it. When you read those passages, it's so easy to just want to be like, all right, I'm just going to I'm just going to live my life looking down. I'm not going to judge anybody. I don't want to be judged. That's not my problem. They can do whatever they want to do. And at first reading, it almost seems like that might be what Jesus is telling us to do. Hey, don't judge because you're going to be judged in the same measure. It'll be measured to you. How could you possibly look at the speck in your your brother's eye but ignore the the plank in your own? It, It would seem very much like Jesus is telling us, hey, just mind your own business. Don't worry about what other people are doing. A lot of us have unfortunately adopted the, the motto that was first used by Cain in, in Genesis chapter 4. If you know uh, scripture, Genesis 1 and 2, we see the creation of the world and God made everything and it was good. It was really, really good. Chapter 3, we see uh, the temptation come into Adam and Eve and the Bible says that they chose sin and they chose to disobey God and they separated themselves from God in that moment. In the very next chapter, we see Cain and Abel, who are the children, those two sons, two of the sons of Adam and Eve. And in a moment when Cain thought nobody was looking, he was angry at his brother, and what did he do? He killed him. He murdered him in the field and took care of his body. He thought nobody was looking, but God was looking. And this is a a motto that unfortunately many people today have, have gathered. It says, then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? We ask that question all the time. Am I my brother's keeper? Maybe not in those words, but that's the attitude that we have. And here's the the truth that I hope we'll see tonight. That God is not just calling us to mind our own business. In fact, God is calling us to be our brother's keeper. That is the responsibility that we have as Christians, as men in the church. It is your responsibility to keep each other accountable. That's why we put you guys around tables and we have time for you guys to talk and get to know each other and process this together Because what you guys can do in terms of talking and holding each other accountable and challenging one another is so much more important than anything I can do up here. It is an opportunity one-on-one in the Christian life that which we have been called in order to keep people accountable. But here is what Jesus is also saying. While we are to hold each other accountable, before we do that, we're to look in the mirror. The Bible says that so often we, we see here that we're blinded by what is in our own lives when we look at what's in the lives of others. The Christian life is not to be lived in isolation. And when your brother has an issue in his life that he can't see, it's not only your right as a fellow believer to go and to help him and to correct him, it's your obligation. You have an obligation to the men in this room, you have the obligation to the men of this church to not just put your head down and pretend like you didn't see something. You have an obligation to do what God has called you to do. But here's the hard thing. First John 1 8 says that if If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. 
And so what we'll talk tonight is how do you reconcile this verse while also reconciling that you got to take care of the plank in your own eye? Because the whole idea of the plank is what? You don't see it. It's not, it's something that's hard to see. You don't realize it's there. So how do you work through one of these situations in a way that also acknowledges that, yes, we are with sin. We know that we're with sin. And if we said we weren't, we would all be liars. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to start around the table. I want you to go ahead and start processing this question and talking about it amongst yourselves. Why is it so easy to overlook the plank in our own eye and focus on the splinter in someone else's? And before, I, before we send it to the table, uh, many of you obviously know this, but I'll, I'll go ahead and, and walk through this just in case. The, the, the picture that, that Jesus is, is saying here is, hey, you have such a huge issue in your life. It's this huge plank that's blocking your entire vision. You can't even see out of your left eye anymore because this plank is there. And there's a tiny, tiny bit of sawdust in your brother's eye. And with this big plank in your eye, you're going to walk up and be like, hey, you got a problem, man, and you got to fix this. And so how is it that even though we know that that's what Jesus says, it's such a ridiculous word picture to, to imagine in our, in, our, in our eyes of a man walking around with a plank that he doesn't even see in his eye. But we do it every day. We all do it. So why is it so easy to overlook the plank in our own eye and focus on the splinter in someone else's? It's been about five minutes at the table. We'll come back. All right, just shout out from your table a few things. What are some things that you guys heard and said around the table? Why is it so easy to overlook our own plank and to focus on someone else's splinter? Anything set at your table? Yep. Yeah, a whole lot less painful, too. Anything else? I assume that most of you guys came to the same answer there. But Yeah, so ultimately, this is something that we're each going to have to learn how to deal with. I I love what R.T. Kendall says in his book. He says, the planks in our eye cause poor eyesight. They magnify the specks of dust in others while simultaneously blinding us to our own faults. So it's so easy that this big old plank that we've got in our eyes, it makes, I love what he says there, it magnifies the faults of others while blinding us to our own problems. Nobody likes to be wrong. I, I know I do not like to be wrong. Now, there are a lot of people who like to do wrong, but they don't like to be called out for being wrong. So even when somebody knows what they're doing isn't right, they don't like to be called out on it. And you guys know how that is when you when you're kind of backed into a corner and you enter the situation where you know you're wrong and this person's coming at you and, and it doesn't feel good and, and it becomes just a, a, an, an angry, messy situation. And that's why it's so important for us to do this right. Because there's so many opportunities as we approach brothers who are in sin or people who we see problems when we approach that. We don't want to do it in such a way that hurts the person. We don't want to do it in such a way that pushes them away. We want to do it in such a way that draws them in and allows them to restore the relationship with the body of Christ, but also the relationship with the Lord. I love this, what R.T. Kendall says, that the principles of total forgiveness should enable us to make friends and not lose them. You see, if you are truly looking out for somebody's best interest and you're helping them, that is going to be something that's going to want people to be your friend. But if you go about this wrong, if you're just all the time just looking for an opportunity to judge people, I told, I told Derek, I said, hey, it's ironic that you get me to, you know, I, I think I've told you guys before that on my personality tests and whatnot, there's 
like next to no empathy that ever reads on my, on my charts. And so I can be very analytical, but I can also be very black and white and just very cut, cutthroat when it comes to my assessment of situations. So I told, I told Derek, I was like, is this why you chose your surgery this week? You knew this was my wheelhouse in terms of how to judge people. Uh, but for me, it's something that I have to work on. I have to be careful that as I look at problems in other people, not being so blinded by my own problems that I don't understand the significance of mine versus theirs. The Bible says that if we confront somebody about the, the sin in our life, that we shouldn't hurt our relationship, it should bring us closer together as brothers in, in Christ. Now, I, wanna, I, I keep saying brothers and brothers in Christ and people in the church. I do want to make that clarification. What we're talking about tonight is not just how you correct anybody in the world that's doing wrong, because that's not what Jesus was talking about. What Jesus was talking about was specifically other believers. You'll see it here. Look how many times he mentions brothers. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly enough to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. And what I want us to do right now is we're going to walk through five principles that R.T. Kendall gives in his book. He does in a minute, we'll look at when you should judge somebody, when you are right to help somebody and correct somebody. But I think what's more important and what we'll spend the majority of time here tonight is when you should not. Because there's a whole lot of times when you should not. And in those moments, you need to be able to have a heart check and, a, and look in the mirror and see, is there, is there a plank in my eye on this one? Am I being blinded? Am I being blinded by it? Or is it magnifying? Am I not seeing this properly? So we're going to look through five different ways of when you cannot help. And this first one, I love the wording of it. I would never word anything like this, but I love getting to say it because it's what he has in his book. When your nose is out of joint because something or someone has gotten your goat. So that's not how I talk. And what I love about R.T. Kendall in this book is he's a brilliant guy. He's a, a PhD from a very prestigious university in England, and he's incredibly brilliant. But then he writes like that about people getting your goat. And so anybody can understand what R.T. Kendall is talking about. He's saying that if you feel angry, if you feel hot about a situation, that is not the time to get involved. When somebody hurts you or you see something wrong and you feel that anger rising up in you, that is not the moment that you are to jump in and try to fix the situation with a brother in Christ. You need to wait until you are calm, that you've had a chance to cool, because you do not want to walk in, pin them up against the wall. That is not going to achieve the desired result. You might end up getting some result very quickly, but it's not going to be what ultimately, if you're following Christ, what you are looking for. So you need to not do it when you are angry and when you're hot about the situation. And if it's not possible for you to not get, get hot about the situation, if you, you take some time to cool down and you just can't, every time you think about it, just boils up inside of you, then maybe you're not the person to do it. As we'll talk in a little bit later, maybe you need to bring somebody in alongside of you who's able to assist and help, somebody that's able to be objective about the situation. Anger is one of the biggest blinders that we have when it comes to plank in our eyes. If you get angry, it's so easy to just lose context and lose understanding of what you're looking at. It's so easy to totally just lose control when you get angry. And you get angry and you got that blinder up, that plank in your eye, and you're not able to see what's going on. And that is not the time to make an important decision like this and to try to help somebody. Bible says in Proverbs 15:1 that a gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. 
If you go to your brother in anger and with wrath, it's going to make the situation worse. So you need to make sure that you're able to do this in a time when you are calm and collected. A second time, he says, when you cannot help is that when you are personally or emotionally involved. And this, continue, this touches the first one because there's going to be emotions that rise up within you. You're not going to be thinking straight. You're not going to be making the best decisions that you could possibly make. In order to best help somebody, you need to be as objective as possible. And it's hard to see sometimes, but you've got to be able to see it from both sides. Dr. Rogers, our, our former pastor here at Bellevue, used to say it's a mighty thin pancake that doesn't have two sides. You think about that. Every pancake, no matter how thin it is, has two sides. And what he's saying here, no matter how thin this argument, no matter how big or thin this thing is, there, there's going to be another side of the story. And not saying that they're right and that you're wrong, but there might be some objective stuff that you need to look at in order to gain a broader understanding of what this situation entails. So it's a mighty thin pancake that doesn't have two sides, and, and any issue like this is going to be complicated and a lot of times have two sides of the story, especially if you are emotionally and personally involved in a situation. So if that's you, I would recommend that you find somebody to come alongside you and help. Because when you step back, there's almost always more to the story. Maybe in the midst of the situation, you don't realize it, but you were assuming a motive. Maybe you connected a dot and made a jump and a leap where there wasn't information and you ended up in the wrong conclusion. Regardless of what it is, once you are personally and emotionally invested and involved in something, it becomes difficult for you to be able to take that next step that you need to take. The third thing he says here is that you should not help when your desire is to punish or to get even. If you confront somebody so that they can get what's coming for them, then there's probably a good, that's a good idea that there's a plank in your eye at that moment. So we talked about these three. When you're, when you're angry, that's a plank so easy to see in your eye, and it's so hard to see in the moment, but we see now that when you get angry, that's a, a plank in your eye that you'll never be able to see, and you'll be able to, to mess you up because you will not be looking at things straight. When you're personally, emotionally involved, and now if your desire, if your goal is to punish this person or to hurt them, then you need to take a step back and look in the mirror and see if there's something in your own eye in that instance. The more time that you take to take care of your own issues, the more grace that you will extend to other people. Why is that? Because Jesus said the same way you judge other people, the same way you, you measure them, that's how you're going to be judged and that's how you are going to be measured. So the more time you spend with the Lord and you ask him to examine your own heart, suddenly you're going to start to not be so harsh on other people because you know that you need mercy, you need grace just as much as they do, if not even more in that situation. The more you mess up, the more messed up you realize that you are, the more that you will be concerned with fixing yourself. Brother Steve says that his dad used to tell him when he was growing up, if you'll just take care of yourself, you'll have a full-time job. And that's such an important thing for us to realize that, yes, we need to be our brother's keeper. Yes, we need to look around and help our brothers and take, and, and when they're st uh, struggling or when they're, they're not doing right, we need to help them. But we can't do that at the expense of our own relationship with the Lord and what is going on in our lives. The problem is people are more interested in fixing other people than they are being fixed by the Lord. R.T. Kendall says this in the book, the one who is the hardest on himself or herself will probably be the gentlest with others. The more that you look at your own life, 
and really look at it the way you examine your heart and ask the Lord to reveal any sin in your heart, suddenly you'll start to, to show more grace for other people because maybe you're not as good as you thought you were. Why? Because of Matthew 7, 1 and 2. Judge not lest you be judged, for in the same way that you judge other people, you will be judged. In the same measure you used, it will be measured against you. You need to come to realize that your need for forgiveness and your need for correction is even greater likely sometimes than those that you are going to correct and those that you are going to forgive. And if you're looking at somebody and your desire is to punish them or get back at what they did to you or what they did to that other person, you want to get them even, you want to show them what they've got coming, then that's a sign that you need to step back and that this is not the opportunity for you to have this conversation. The Bible says in Romans 12, 19 through 21, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Other translations say there, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I love that picture because what is it? When you're angry, you're overcome with with anger. You're overcome by the situation. You're conquered by it. But Paul is saying here, no, no, you need to conquer evil with love. And you need to do what Christ did for us and forgive and help people with with the situation that they're in. So we see your nose is out of joint because something or something has gotten your goat. So when you're angry, that's not a great time to help. You're personally or emotionally involved. Your desire is to punish or to get even. The next thing we'll see is that there is an envy or jealousy in your heart. Do you have something to gain by correcting the other person? That's something I have to ask myself all the time. When I, when I see something I don't like or I, I want to I change something, I always ask myself that question. Like, why do I want this change? Is it better for me if this changes or is it better for the person if this changes? And more likely and more often than I like to admit, it's because it's better for me. It's more comfortable for me. It's the way I would have done it. It's the way I like it. And so if we're in a situation where we're envious or we're jealous and we don't like what they're getting or we don't like the way that's working out, that is not the time for us to have that conversation with a brother. That's a wrong motive and will never end up where you want to end up if that is where you go. The Bible says that in the same way you judge, you'll be judged. The Bible also says that what you reap, you will also sow. Matthew 18, 15, Jesus is giving an example of how to confront somebody that is in sin. So he says, if you have a, a, a brother that's in sin, this is what you're supposed to do. And listen to this. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between him and you alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Notice there he says, go between you and him. What's the word? Alone. Why is that? Because you need to prevent embarrassment. You're not, your goal is not to, to make this person look bad and make yourself look better. Your goal is the redemption of a brother and the correction of a brother. And ultimately, your goal has to be that they're going to take a step up and they're going to get even more credit or they're going to get even more of a good situation because they're going to correct and they're going to be on the right path. And so if you find yourself in a situation where you want to talk to somebody about something going on in their life and you want to correct it, you want to help it, but there's anything in you that wants them to be embarrassed, that wants them to to have to pull back, that wants them to not have good things, then your heart's not right. 
Because Jesus here said that our goal in talking to a brother is to win a brother back. Is to, and, that, and that's exactly what R.T. Kendall was talking about, is that when we follow the rules and the principles of total forgiveness, we should gain friends, not lose them. And so this is an important principle for us to understand. When you're jealous of somebody and you have envious, here's a great sign that this is one of your motives. A lot of times when you're jealous or envious, you don't talk to that person, you talk about them. A lot of times you'll find yourself saying, hey, do you see what happened over there? Yeah, isn't that terrible? And you end up in this situation, but you don't, and you never actually talk to the person that has the issue. If you truly cared for that person, if you really wanted them to do well, you would talk to them. You would give them the opportunity to correct what you see in their life. Instead, so often, because of our envy and our jealousy, we first go around and we're talking to other people. But the Bible says that we need to not have envy or jealousy in our hearts if we are to correct. And then the last one of when you cannot help is when your own self-esteem is related. If you're going to make yourself feel better, if that's the intent, if you're going to say, you know, I want to, I'm going to do this, and man, this is going to be such a good thing for me to do. I'm such a good person. Man, I am so glad that I'm not like that person. I'm not dealing with that issue that they're dealing with, and I see it, and I'm going to fix it. That is a major, major, major plank that is in your eye, and you probably don't see it in the moment. And so you need to, these are the questions that you can ask yourself as you stand in that mirror of, are these things my motive? What is my motive? Why do I want to do this? Augustine, uh, St. Augustine once said this, it stuck with me years ago when I read it. He said, pride is pregnant with every sin. I'm going to say that again. I want you to think about that. Pride is pregnant with every sin. And what he means by that is once you end up puffed up in your heart, And once you start thinking you're better with somebody else, there's nothing that you won't do. Every sin, for the most part, starts with pride. You look back in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve are being tempted in the garden and it became, well, you could be like God and you could have this stuff that God has and he's holding back on you and you could be better. You could have more than you currently have. And that led Adam and Eve to take of the forbidden fruit and to commit the sin and disobey God. And so when we walk in pride, we are always setting ourselves up for failure. Brother Steve often says this, that when pride walks in, God walks out. The Bible says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He says that in the book of James. And so when you, you have your own self-esteem is involved and you're trying to puff yourself up, that is a major red flag that you need to check your heart on the situation. That is not the time for you to engage. And if you can't keep coming to the situation and, and you just cannot get away from that, then you're not the person to have that conversation. Because in the same way that you judge, in the same way that you measure, it will be measured to you and you will be judged. The Bible says in Galatians 6.1, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourself so that you also won't be tempted. You have to go with an acknowledgement that were it not for grace, that's exactly where I would be. I'm not any better than this person. The fact that I'm talking to this person doesn't mean that that I'm better than them or they're worse than me or whatever it is because tomorrow I could be in the exact same situation if I'm not careful. And I don't know the situation that ended up with this person in this situation, but whatever it is, it's not my job to, 
to try to tear them down and build myself up. It's my job to try to win them back to the Lord and win them back to fellowship with Christ. You need to walk into every single one of these situations with the understanding that you are not better than this person. I'm going to read you this quote from the book. He says that a few years ago, two elders had the task of approaching a man in their church who was in an adulterous relationship. On their way, on their way to the man's house, one elder said to the other, do you believe that you two could fall into that sin? The guy said, no, I couldn't do that. I would never do that. The elder who asked the question then said, then you are not qualified to approach this man. And the visit was canceled. The essential qualification for a spiritual confrontation is the attitude required by Paul in Galatians 6.1, one of humility and self-searching. And if you walk into any situation and you think, well, I could never do that, you do not have a proper understanding of who you are and who you are in Christ. Because everything good about you, the person that's not going to do that, that's not you, that's Christ in you. But apart from Christ, and if we get on our own, if we fill ourselves up with pride and we start thinking that we can get away with stuff and that the rules don't apply to us and we all have been there, maybe not with adultery, but in other situations where we think we can bend the rules just a little bit and slowly you bend that rule more and more and suddenly you find your spot in, in, yourself in a spot where you're doing things that maybe you didn't used to think you would do and you wouldn't have agreed to before and you end up in this situation and now you know that every one of us is one mistake away for making a bad choice. And as we approach a brother that is going through a situation, maybe they've committed adultery, maybe they've committed another sin, maybe they're just living with pride, maybe they're pulling away from the church and not leading their family well, whatever it is, when you approach that person, you have to approach them knowing that were it not for the grace of Jesus Christ and the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life, that is exactly where you could be. And it's a humbling thing, and the Bible says here to be careful watching over yourself so that you also will not be tempted. So as we look at these, these five principles that R.T. Kendall gives, I want you to spend just a few minutes around your table asking the question of which one of these principles do you maybe struggle with the most? Which one of these is your most common plank in your eye? I know for me, uh, I would, I would, I'll just go ahead and say for me, it's probably four and five. I'm more likely to, to want to get in a situation where I'm wanting to make myself look a little better and feel better and maybe I don't like the attention that they got or maybe I, I just a little bit of pride sneaking up on me. And so those are the things that I have to check myself on the most. So walk around. I encourage you, uh, read through those. Be honest. And, and uh, if you want to, you can just say the first one just so you can say that someone's gotten your goat. But walk through that list and uh, just spend a few minutes talking about where you struggle with the most. I'd encourage you guys to, if you haven't already, write these down or, or take a picture of that screen and, and use this as a, a litmus test in your life when, when something's bothering you or you think there's something wrong. These are great questions, great things to look for in terms of being able to examine your own eye for a plank in them. Because I can almost guarantee you that if any of these are true, then you're not in the spot that you need to and you're not thinking clearly about the situation. And that's an opportunity where you can get help. You can talk to maybe a trusted friend or advisor in that situation. But this is a great opportunity in these, uh, in these situations to check your heart and ask the Lord to reveal to you your motive and what you need to do. So very quickly, we're going to walk through. He gives, at the end of this chapter, he gives very, five very quick, when you can help. So we've talked about the most important thing, I believe, when you should not help, when you should step back, when there might be a cue that you have that plank in your eye that you may not be able to see on your own. 
but maybe you can identify those different things. But here are some situations where it's important for you to help. He says, first, when you are meeting a need. If you guys remember, I think uh, Derek talked about this probably three or four weeks ago. But what is a need? How do you know if something is a need? One, is it necessary to say? Two, will it encourage the person? Will it make them feel better? Edify, will it edify? Will it, what you say build them up and make them stronger? And last, will it dignify them? Will it dignify the person? Is this treating the person how Jesus would have treated them with a sense of dignity? And this is a good question. If you're in a situation and, and you see something and, and you don't have any of those bad motives and you really do just want to help and this is something they need to hear, this is necessary and I think this is going to encourage them, it's going to build them up and it leaves them with dignity, then those are four great ways to know that this is something that needs to be said and that should be said. Second thing is this, that you would be irresponsible not to speak out. You would be irresponsible to not speak out. He says that here that it is appropriate to get involved if you are in a strategic position to help. And maybe this is, you're the person, maybe the only person that can reach this person. Maybe you're the only person that has the answer. Maybe you're the only person that has, has firsthand knowledge of the situation. And if you don't say something, nobody is going to say anything. And that's a, a situation where it's important for you to be bold and to stand up and to speak, assuming that you have the right motives. The third, he says this, that you have been asked to step in by a responsible person who has no agenda. So we talked earlier about all the different reasons that you shouldn't step in. And maybe somebody's in one of those situations and comes to you and says, hey, I trust you. Here's the situation we're in. This really got in my goat. I cannot get over this situation. I'm personally involved. I, I'm jealous. I, I feel prideful about this situation, but this needs to be addressed. Would you be willing to help? If you're in that situation, that is an appropriate time for you to step in and be able to help mediate a conversation and do what it is. And maybe, maybe you're going to reach out to somebody one day and need that help, or somebody's going to reach out to you. But either way, it's important for you, if you're objective, if you're outside the situation, to be able to step in. It goes along with the next one here, that you are utterly impartial. He goes on to say that you have no agitation or feeling of being annoyed. You guys know exactly what that's like when you just think of a person and you're just like, ah, I can't, I can't do that. When you don't have that situation, you don't have that feeling, that's a good sign. I told my wife, we have four children, uh, Asa, Augie, Megan, Ellie. I said, you never realize how many people in life you don't like until you start naming your kids. And my wife would throw out a name and go, nah, we can't name my kid that. No, just trust me, that's not a good name. And you have all these situations, you just have these uh, annoying memories of, of people. And that's what he's saying here is like, if you, you have to be utterly impartial and have no agitation towards the event. You have to be able to think and to see clearly, objectively. If that's you, then you could be the person that God wants to talk to that person. And the last thing is this, when nothing matters more than the honor of God. You need to check your motivation for helping somebody. Is this really for your benefit? Is this really for the purpose of tearing somebody else down? Or is your motivation truly to honor the Lord and to help a brother walk closer with him? If that is your motivation, these are great times that it is the right time for you to step in and make a, and, and make a decision. I had a, a situation probably six or seven years ago where I saw something with a, a brother uh, that it should not have been happening. And I was able to, to walk through the situation 
And though I didn't have this book at the time, I wish I had because being able to walk through these principles and being able to process it, have, have a guideline and be able to process how you're feeling and what you're, what you're feeling and what you think and what you, what you saw and what am I supposed to do. And, and you know the scriptures, but at the same time, there's lots of questions. Having these as guidelines is such an incredible, helpful, incredibly helpful thing. As we talk about nothing mattering more than the honor of God, at the end of the day, that is what most, is most important. And if you can answer that one honestly, that the reason I want to talk, the reason I think I need to talk about that speck that I see over there is because of the honor of God, that is the ultimate litmus test. Because if what you are doing does not honor God, does not bring honor to him, that brings honor to yourself or tears somebody else down, it is not the right thing. And this is a warning R.T. Kendall gives when he talks about this. Be careful. Many meddlers use this as their justification. One day you will find out whether it was really God's honor you cared about or just your own. There's a day coming where every single one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And in that moment, we will know the truth and God will know the truth. The Bible says that nothing, everything is laid bare before the Lord. There's nothing hidden before the Lord. And while if we are in Christ, we have the blood of Christ that, that covers us and that is our justification, you also have to know that there is a very real judgment to come. And the Bible says that every word that comes out of our mouth is subject to judgment and that God is going to burn up the works of our life and only that which is precious metal is going to remain and the wood, hay, and the stubble will all go away. And I don't know about you, but I want less wood, hay, and stubble in my life. I don't want to carry all that baggage with me. Not just because I don't want to have to deal with it when I stand before the Lord one day, but I don't want to have to deal with it today. I don't want to be walking through my life every day carrying this baggage of unforgiveness or this baggage of jealousy or this baggage of, of envy. I, I want to avoid all of that so that I can walk with what Jesus said he has come to give us, and that's e- abundant life. Some people would say life with a plus. You know, a lot of times we get saved and we think, oh, day, one day when we get to heaven, like my wife's two grandfathers who are now in the presence of the Lord, one day when I'm where they are, Man, that's going to be incredible. I'm going to have this abundant life. But Jesus said, no, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. And as long as we're carrying around this baggage and as long as we're, we're constantly keeping people caged up or we're going after people with the wrong motives, we will never walk with the freedom that God has called us to walk. So I want to encourage you guys to, to really evaluate your motives and ask yourself, why is it that you feel called to judge somebody? And that sounds like a harsh way of saying it, but that's what the Bible says we're doing. We're judging somebody. We're casting judgment and placing judgment on their actions. And we have to be careful when we do it, but not so careful that we don't do it. Because it is a holy and sacred task that God has given each one of us to be our brother's keeper and to hold each other accountable to what God has called us to do. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to go to the table. I want you guys just to close out by praying over each other. I want you guys to pray that you would be able to, to identify the planks in your own eyes and, Lord, and that you would have the wisdom to be able to identify what you need to address and what you don't need to address and that you'd have the courage and the strength to be able to deal with things that you need to deal with when they come up. Because it, I, in my experience, there's, there's times where you have to talk to a brother. There's times where you have to, to do this thing and the enemy comes at you with so many lies of, man, this is, you're not the right person, all this stuff. And, and, and as you're sorting through what the lies of the enemy and your own emotions and all this, and as you come to the agreement that this is what the Lord wants you to do, it takes courage to have that conversation. 
But every single time, I believe if it's done right, the Lord blesses it and the Lord will honor your obedience and what you've done. And if, Lord willing, if the person receives it, you will have an opportunity to gain a brother to a deeper level than you've ever known. So take a few minutes, pray for each other around the table, and then you guys can be dismissed, and we'll see you guys next week.